please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today we have Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the privilege of coming before your throne on a daily basis through prayer, God. And I ask for our hearts today that you would open them by your spirit to the words that Nate has for us today and that our eyes would be open to the light of the gospel. And Lord, as we enter your house today, may our hearts be filled with the peace that surpasses knowledge. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Well, welcome and good morning to you if you've entered since the beginning of our service. We're really thrilled that you're here as we approach God's Word this day from these two marvelous passages, Philippians chapter 4 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll really be focusing our attention and time on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, so we'll be zeroing in on that just to prepare you a bit for today. I hope that your new year is going well so far, that the Lord is meeting you as you seek Him. And as some of you are taking the journey of reading through the Bible over the next couple of years with us as a congregation, it's right if you're visiting with us, we are endeavoring in quite a significant task of reading through the Word together as a congregation and doing so over two-year span period. I'm very grateful For those of you who are in that journey with us, a whole lot of you are. That's really exciting. Think of the 200 booklets or so. We've given away 150 of them, and a bunch of you have downloaded the Cornerstone app, and you're working your way through the reading plan, and just really grateful for the way that you've responded to this challenge together. And as we seek to both hold each other and to some degree accountable for that time in the Word, and acknowledging that we need to read the Word together because we fall apart when we don't have people helping us and thinking about doing this together. Now, even as I say that, there are those of you in this room who are like, I'm not reading the Word through in the next couple of years, and now I feel really guilty for not being a part of it. That's not my point. It's not my hope to guilt you into doing so. Many of you have many different reading plans, some of you engaging in many different types of interactions and engagement with the Lord. That excites us here as well. We're really, really thrilled in that. We want to encourage you in that as you make that journey. And we want to, as a congregation, as we read the Word, we want to simultaneously respond to that Word. We want to do it in prayer. And that's why we're entering this year on our knees. Lord, we want to hear from you and we want to respond to you. Because the Christian walk is a relationship with God. 
It needs to be thought of in those terms. It is not merely actions that we do. Oh, I ought to read my Bible. Oh, I should pray. Think about it as I really want to hear from my God. I want to spend time talking to Him. It's really different. When we begin to understand that our walk with the Lord is genuinely a relationship. And we're nurturing a relationship as we hear from Him and as we speak to Him. And it's pretty obvious that you, you feel close to people that you spend time with. When you allow them to speak with you and you speak honestly back to them, there's a much higher likelihood for sweeter communion to be shared. And that's what we're seeking to pursue. Just relationship with the Lord, knowing His heart, His him knowing our hearts and praying for there to be a match by His Spirit to continue to forge that richness of intimacy. That's what we mean when we're talking about prayer. So I don't want you to think and hear, oh, prayer, that's hard. I need to do that. I'm terrible with that. That's how most of us, I believe, feel when we start talking about prayer. Who among us can go, I'm amazing at prayer. Like, if that's you, if you're like, I'm amazing at prayer, meet with me. Help me. Help me. I need you. I don't feel amazing at prayer. I, I just don't. And, and as I have taken intentional steps, sharing this with Greg and sharing this with Tony this week, of saying, I've blocked out some think times in my schedule where I, I want to just simply be praying to the Lord. In addition to my normal routine, I want to concentrate sometimes in prayer. I'm finding myself 15, 20 minutes into those times going, I'm out of things to say. I'm, I don't know what's going on here. And, uh, and, and sometimes it's not 15 or 20 minutes. Sometimes it's five minutes in. And I realize that my heart is bleared and smeared with the things of the world. And I'm in no way ready to commune with the living God. And a lot of times the reason that it feels that way and the experience of prayer and the practice of it is that way is because I'm working really hard in that prayer rather than really sharing my soul with the Lord where it's at and hearing from the Lord in the word where his heart is for me. You know this experience. The weirdness that often takes place when we start praying, we start speaking in a tone of voice that we would otherwise never speak in. We, we start using vocabulary words that we would never use otherwise. But because we are in the midst of talking to the Lord, we often will inhabit a form rather than share a heart. We want to talk about that today. We want to talk about what does it mean to really practice communion with the Lord in prayer. Not merely talk about methods or forms as helpful as those can be. We want to talk about the practice in terms of its communing heart with the Lord. And we want to do it from this passage, specifically 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, with some supplemental help from Paul's writings in Philippians chapter 4. We want to pursue prayerful close communion with the Lord in the year 2016. Both individually, in our personal communion with the Lord, which is what we looked at yes, last week together, and now this week in the practice of that communion together. What's, 
What, is it, what do we actually do in that time, and how is that time supposed to look when we're with the Lord in prayer, and what would it mean for our prayer times to be stretched out throughout the day to where we're actually living within the presence of the Lord in a, in a real felt sense of intimacy with our God. Wouldn't that be beautiful? If that could happen at a greater measure this year? Well, I want to just show you how these messages are working together for just a moment before we jump into 1 Thessalonians 5. Just in case you weren't here last week, too, to simply show you how we started the year. It was the first Lord's Day of 2016. And I sought the Lord, said, Lord, I want you to give us a word that has to do with the scope of this year as we consider this reality of prayer. And I landed, not surprisingly, on one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And we look specifically at verses 14 to 19, which is Paul's prayer for spiritual strength for the church at Ephesus. He's praying this petitionary prayer. He's saying, these are my desires for you, O church at Ephesus. I want you to know the Lord in these ways. And as you begin to work your way through that prayer, it's just, oh Lord, this is what I want for you to do both in me and in us as a corporate body going into 2016. And you'll remember that we talked about the why of prayer, the how of prayer, and the what of prayer. The why of prayer is what's the purpose for which we pray? Paul actually says, for this reason, I bow my knees, right at the beginning. He says, I have a purpose or a reason for why it is that I pray for you. And he's unpacking what were the theological and biblical gospel foundations that he had been unpacking through the first two and a half chapters of Ephesians. Talking about the love of God in election. Talking about the adoptive kindness of the Lord. Talking about the forgiveness of sins and the atonement of Christ. He's just soaring doctrines in the first two chapters of the book of Ephesians. And then, before he moves in chapter 4 to the command section, the imperatives of how then shall we live, he gives us a prayer. And it's as if the Apostle Paul is saying, before I start telling you what to do, I want to talk to you about the strength that you'll need to do it with. I want to talk to you about the strength that you'll need to do it with. So before I begin to tell you about reading your Bible and praying and loving your neighbor and all the things he's going to do, he says, I want to talk about what it would be like to do that from the strength of the Spirit. And he says, the why of this prayer, this reason is that I want your will so aligned to the will of God and I want you submitted to the wishes of God that you would be able to be strengthened in your inner being by the Spirit, that Christ would dwell in your hearts, having been rooted and grounded in love. You would know in surpassing greatness the love of God until you are filled up with the fullness of God. It's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable prayer. So that's what I want for you. He said, I want you... To know that strength, to know that knowledge, to know that love, and to be filled up to the fullness of God until the day that you see Christ face to face and you know him even as you are known. I'm going to pray that for you now, that the future you that is glorified would be more and more realized now. That's God's wishes for you in 2016. And here's God's assurances for you. 
He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. What that means is he will accomplish it within you. He is about that this year in your life. That's what he desires. And we want to pray in such a way so that our desires meet those desires. That's what we really gave ourselves to. And so as we really flood ourselves with those realities, Paul says now, 1 Thessalonians 5, Philippians 4, he says now, that purpose that I've given to you, I now want you to all the time be mumbling under your breath about it with me. I want you all of the time to be talking to me about it, all of the time communing with me around those things. I want the secret intimacy of the prayer chamber that you enjoy with me in the inner closet, the communion that we share together. I want you to carry that communion with you everywhere you go. I want you to pray without ceasing. And I think what the Apostle Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians 5 is he speaks to a people who are anticipating suffering and persecution and challenge, who are really confused over a number of doctrinal matters of which he's been clarifying throughout this letter. He says, I want you to know that your preparation for the challenges that are ahead are going to come in and through prayer. And the joy that you're seeking and the thanksgiving for the very circumstances that you need to be offering won't come unless you are ceaselessly praying. Because it's there where I begin to create a changed life. I start it not when you read that brand new published book, not when you find a brand new podcast that's so helpful. I, I do it when... When you're on your knees in prayer. And I do it throughout the day as you're communing with me in prayer. That's the power. That's the strength. And so what we're talking about today is what, it's what John Owen called constant fellowship with God. It's what Ian Bounds called having an unending audience with the King. That's what we're talking about, to walk in that. And I think that it's appropriate at this time just to note this great figure known as Ian Bounds because he's really pretty critical to the history of both this church and the church of our community, as some of you know. He was a man of prayer, a man utterly devoted to prayer, similar to Robert Murmack Shane, who we talked about last week in the Scottish plane. Here's a local man of God who simply gave himself to the discipline of prayer and creating a culture of prayer among those in whom he was discipling. He was born in the early 1800s in Missouri, but probably became well-known after he committed himself to being a preacher at the age of 24 and was arrested. Not the normal story that you would imagine to hear, but he was arrested because you might remember there was this little unfortunate historical nastiness in the middle of the 1800s known as the Civil War. And he was arrested as being a Confederate sympathizer by Union troops and was actually held in prison for a year and a half until he was let go through a prisoner exchange and then immediately went to Memphis. And you know what he did? He became a chaplain in the Confederacy. So he didn't learn his lesson, in other words. And he came from Memphis to Middle Tennessee. And was here 
when General John Bell Hood was preparing for the Battle of Franklin, one of the bloodiest battles in all of the Civil War. Bounds was here after that defeat and became again another Confederate prisoner who was later released and only released when he took a vow to loyalty to the United States of America and would no longer take the arms. And then he returned to Middle Tennessee again. Because this was a war-torn, spiritually dark place at the time. A place that he knew needed spiritual rebuilding. He wanted to be a part of that work. Student John Wesley, a member of the Methodist Episcopal Church, serving as its pastor, he began to meet with Small groups and large groups of Franklinites praying to the Lord, gathering once a week at the town square, larger gatherings with each and every week, and then sending those folks out in prayer walks to homes, to workplaces, all kinds of contexts. And there's a well-documented revival that began to break out in Franklin and its surrounding communities. Not because there was a great sermon that was preached, but because there was a great spirit of prayer that was birthed among God's people in this location. In fact, history says that Bounds preached from this very pulpit at some point. In fact, I rubbed these little corners hoping to get some of the magic off of this pulpit. Um, amazing man of the Lord. In his works on prayer, which I've been rereading since the beginning of the year, he said this about continual prayer. He said, The soul, having come into intimate contact with God in the silence of the prayer closet, is to be never out of conscious touch with its Father. That our hearts are to be persistent in going out to Him in loving communion all the day. The mind moving between life and God naturally as the bird that flies out only to return to its nest. I hope you can hear in Bound's beautiful instruction in those words something of the kind of intimacy that I believe that Adam and Eve experienced with the Lord as described in Genesis chapter 2 when they walked with Him in the cool of the day in the garden. Where when they picked fruit, when they ate the fruit, when they tended the soil, when they laughed, when they discussed, when they dreamed about broadening the horizons of the garden together, God was there. And it wasn't as if life was in the way of their communion with God as an obstacle, but that life became an opportunity by which to commune with God. That's how we often think about it, isn't it? That life gets in the way of our communion with the Lord rather than life being its own platform through which communion with God may be shared. The scripture seems really clear upon this subject. If we are to know and love God, and we are, then we are to also know and love God's world with the knowledge and the love of God. We are to bring the communion that we share with God in the intimacy of those quiet hours in prayer into our relationship with the world, in our interactions, in our relationships, in our work habits, in our mealtime conversations. Having something of a sanctuary walking around with us. Don't you know the experience of walking with someone who is walking with God? 
Don't you just want to be with that person? You hope to get close to them, some of it will kind of you know, rub off on you in some way. That's the kind of experience that he abounds in. And I think Paul here very clearly is saying this is what we want out of the believing community, those who are followers of Christ. This is what we want to see. This is God's desire. He says it here in 1 Thessalonians 5. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. What's he referencing? The rejoicing, the praying without ceasing, and the giving thanks. In all services, all three commands, he's referencing by this is the will of God. What's the will of God? That you would pray unceasingly. And as you pray unceasingly, you begin to inhabit the presence of God in a rich and vibrant way. It reminds me of what Sinclair Ferguson said about spiritual maturity. He says, you really know when true communion and devotion and growth with God is happening because this is what begins to take place. We begin to do spiritual things naturally and we begin to do natural things spiritually. Would you ponder that for a minute? So I think it's at the heart of this unceasing prayer piece. We begin to do spiritual things naturally and we begin to do natural things spiritually. What is Ferguson getting at? Ferguson is getting at this. You know how weird we get when we pray? When we, you know, try to be someone that we're not and we try to move into something like holiness for a moment, like it's something we can put on and we feel awkward in doing it and we're praying with other people and we're worried that they're judging our language and all those kind of things are going on and in the rest of life you're just chatting it up and then all of a sudden you begin to pray and weird stuff happens. Ferguson says, that means that maturity in Christ, the closeness of presence with God is not yet grab such deep, deep a hold that you can move straight from laughter into prayer. Straight from tears into prayer. Straight from a conversation into prayer. Straight from a tragedy into prayer. Straight from an elation into prayer. I mean, moving from various things. Let's stop and pray. Let's, let's take this real quickly to the Lord. Let's, that, that sort of effortless moving naturally from spiritual things into life. And from life into spiritual things. It's also when you bring a spiritual mindset to the most ordinary task that you do. Like washing the dishes. Or kicking around the soccer ball in the, in the yard in the afternoon. Beginning to bring a mindset of recognizing God loves it when we delight in the things that he's made. God loves it when we restore order through the washing of dishes. And I thank him for the privilege of the running water to do so, and the shine that comes off of these dishes as it's done. I thank him for the energy and the hands by which I can do it. I thank him for those who's helping me with it. And it becomes something of the Spirit, whether stated or unstated, ceaselessly living in a place where our mind is moving between the world and Him in an ebb and a flow, so that natural things are completed spiritually and spiritual things are completed naturally and they dovetail together. I think as Ferguson says that, he's pointing to something that, that, that Paul here is really after in this command to unceasingly pray. To live a life that is aromatic of the presence of the Lord. And I think he knows that we want the joy of life. And I think that's why he buttresses that command with this rejoice always. Now, he doesn't mean here, let's hear this well. He doesn't mean you should always be happy. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying plaster yourself with a smile. Act like everything's Pollyannish when it's not. He's not saying be a liar, in other words. 
He's saying in the midst of sorrows, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of difficulties, is there the deep bass tone of the solid joys and lasting pleasures of Christ that permeates even your lowest and weakest moments? Are you one who's able to be able to trace under the dark clouds something of the bright sunshine behind? Even though you're not experiencing it and you, even though you don't know it intimately and personally, now you know it's there. And there's something of the rejoicing that's there, even knowing that you don't know God's purposes in this difficulty. You don't know God's purposes in these strains, but you know he's got kind and good purposes in them. And something of his everlasting joy is there. That's why Paul prayed that way as he did in Ephesians chapter 3. For that spiritual inner strength of Christ dwelling in our hearts. He wanted not this joy of circumstance. He wanted the joy of the Lord. It's like when the psalmist says to us, shout unto the Lord for joy. Come and sing into his presence with joy and thanksgiving. What's he doing? He's inviting us to direct our thoughts and our minds to the realities that are most fundamentally true. God and his glorious gospel. Now as that begins to happen, rejoicing begins to happen, but how does rejoicing come if you're not ceaselessly praying for that? (laughs) I think he's actually showing us by the structure of this passage, and the Thessalonians need to hear this, that if you're going to rejoice always and know the joy of the Lord, not merely the joy of circumstance, you're going to have to constantly submit your heart ceasingly to the Lord in prayer. The key to that joy is prayer is the ceaselessness in prayer. Now we know Paul is saying this because he's writing the letter of Philippians from a place of of prison. Not a holiday inn here. I mean, he's, he's singing, we're told in Acts chapter 16, with Silas at the top of his lungs, hymns and praises to the Lord, and prisoners are overhearing it. He's writing these words about joy in Philippians and under attack in the letter of of 1 Thessalonians from a place that his circumstances are a lot worse than you and me today. So he's clearly not talking about joy of circumstance. He's clearly talking about a joy that is more profound. It's more deep. It's rooted in the realities of Christ. That's why we said what's most important in 2016 is not what you're going to do, but what Christ has already done. See, that's what prayer does. It brings the truth of God's word to your mind again to remind you of the things that you know and forget as you bum along in the world. When you you get consumed with the tyranny of the urgent. The ceaseless spirit of prayer allows those things to come back to your mind and establish a sanity for living again. Don't you oftentimes wake up from your anxieties? That's what it feels like. Be worried and stressed about something and then all of a sudden it dawns on me that like I'm loved and the world will be taken care of and my eternal destiny is in hand and the Lord promises to do that for all those people and then all of a sudden I go, why was I, why was I doing all that? All that stress and all that anxiety and I feel like I'm waking up from it. How did I wake up through the truth of the reality of God's word spoken in and through the power of its gospel? Attended to through its spirit. Making me alive once again and not being anxious but beginning to experience what he calls here the peace of God that begins to guard your heart. Begins to put a shield around you so you're not all the time rattled. 
Last week we said one of the things that's so clear about the power of the gospel is one of its first manifestations that you're really resting in Christ is you begin to experience stability of soul. Stability of soul. You're not pushed by everything. Because as the things come your way, it's not that they get easier in terms of the events themselves, but you begin to bear them with the power of the Spirit. Think of it this way. Heavy things get lighter when we carry them with the power of the Spirit. It's not that the heavy things go away. You hear me? It's not that he promises I'm going to remove it. He says, I promise I'm going to give you grace enough to bear it. I have a kind intention for you in that, he says. And that makes all of the difference. Where does the, where does the Christian experience that? In the Word of God, in prayer with God. That's where that comes. That's where that refreshment comes. So if I can urge you in a couple of ways on prayer in terms of practice. When we talk about this ceaseless praise, I want you to think of three words. I want you to think of regular, persistent, dependent. Okay? Regular, persistent, dependent. I want you to think of those three things. This is the prayer life that we're longing that the Lord would begin to cultivate in us, but we've got to pursue it. It's going to take some discipline to pursue it. And I think what he means first by prayer without ceasing is that prayer must be regular. And that is to say often. It's, it's got to happen often. It's something that can't just be intermittent or sporadic. If you're wanting to dwell within the presence of the Lord, as it were, carry the, the prayer chamber with you as you go, then you can't expect to just occasionally shoot up a word of prayer. Now, that's important to do. But you're going you're gonna to need to actually sit with the Lord. That the aroma of His presence is a part of your life and it fuels your mind and heart. And it begins to clarify your vision, which we're going to talk about in a second. So it's got to be regular. But it's also got to be persistent. And what he means by persistent is don't give up in it. If there's a, if there's a command that attends praying more than the one to stay in it in the New Testament, I don't know where it is. He constantly says, pray at all times in the Spirit, be alert. Persevere in it. Now, when God gives us a command like that, it's meaningful. It, it's mean, it means to point us to indicate something. What does it indicate? It's our tendency to go to sleep. Wasn't it the tendency of the disciples every time Jesus asked them to pray? You have to go asleep. That's why he says, be alert in it, Perse persevere in it, keep on. You know, if you're falling asleep in prayer, fall asleep, wake up, keep praying. Get you a cup of coffee, pray to the Lord as you go get the cup of coffee, confess your weakness, keep going. That's what he means, keep going, just don't stop, don't abandon it. Don't abandon it, keep up, persevere, be persistent in it. He's actually saying, you want to create the holy habit of prayer. Where the natural things are spiritual and the spiritual things are natural. And let me tell you this, I think this is true. Even as I've been working, pursuing the Lord in prayer myself, I think that calendaring your prayer leads usually to continuous prayer. Me meaning that if you just hope to pray more, you probably won't. No, if, you're, if you walk out of the room today after we've sat in this word, and you go, man, I hope I become more prayerful. What's for lunch? It is very unlikely that you will become more prayerful. 
If you calendar it, set it apart, you have a meeting with the Lord. You have a meeting with your maker, your redeemer. And you're going to keep it. And you devote yourself to it. It's much more likely that that prayer as it's calendared begins to be more continuous. Because in that rhythm of calendaring it, making it regular, there's a persistence that's there that begins to bleed over into this third component of unceasing prayer, which is your spirit becomes increasingly dependent on God. You know, one of the most revealing aspects about prayer is the fact that we don't do it because we don't feel like it's, it's... it accomplishes anything. You don't feel like we need it. Um, when you begin to pray and you begin to bear the fruits of prayerful communion with the Lord, what begins to happen is your soul becomes so weaned towards the presence of the Lord that you can't help but pray. You would be, you would be starving yourself to not pray. Because what begins to happen is your affections are so wedded to the power of the Spirit in His presence. You don't, you don't want to even think of being away from Him. Those of you who've experienced the joy of the Lord in the Word and in prayer and have known that sweet communion, you know. Oh man, you know how rich it is to experience that and you're going to pursue it. Jeffrey Wilson puts it this way. He says, Believers are to cultivate a spirit of constant prayerfulness that their whole lives might be permeated with the presence of God. And Gordon Lightfoot says, It's not in the moving of your lips so much as it is in the elevation of your heart that the very essence of prayer consists. When you're in this place, the commonest duties and recreations of life remain engaged in communion with the Lord. So I want to to hearken back to your memories for a second of a moment where you know in your life, could recount some in mine, but I won't take the time to do it. I just want to to call upon your memory of a time where you were walking particularly sweetly in in communion with the Lord. You know, that 30 seconds last year, you know, know, whatever it is. It feels like it's been a long time for some of us, right? It feels like it's been a while, but sometimes some of you know seasons of time, days, right, and weeks where there was something of the light and the affections of the Lord that was with you. And it was like when you walked around in the world, you saw with the eyes of the Lord. You made decisions by taking them to Him, even simple ones, rather than immediately resting on your own understanding. In all your ways, you begin to acknowledge Him. And something about the path began to be straight, about the nature of it. It wasn't that it was easy. It was that it was light. It was lightened. You could see because you were seeing with him. I want you to to go back to that space and I want you to remember what it was like to love to read the word and long to be in communion with the Lord. I can guarantee you that it was a gift that he gave you through some means. Could be through a preaching, could be through a friend, could be through someone who poured into your life, it could be some circumstance that was falling apart and the Lord began to show up in the midst of it, whatever it was that was beginning to encourage you. As you stirred that up within your heart, as you continued to pray, as you sought his word, what began to happen more and more? Greater light, greater joy began to come. When you begin to neglect it and you begin to think things, as I have thought, much to my shame, Oh, I've had such a sweet time with the Lord. I guess I don't have to spend as much time with him now. I'm okay for a while. 
I've had those thoughts. Oh, I've kind of filled up now. I, I don't need to tend to my soul quite as closely as I would. So we tend to think that way. What begins to happen immediately? Distance is put between us and the Lord. And what begins to happen to your life? Darkness becomes over the perspective of your life. Rather than what Paul says here, which he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now listen, you'll never do that unless you're ceaselessly praying. You, you just never do it. He doesn't say, give thanks for all circumstances, as if all circumstances are good. He means to say that even when you're in the midst of the worst of circumstances, you can see with the eyes of the Lord and you're able to give thanks for them. You're able to see them from the purposes of the Lord. You're able to know that he's at work in you. You know what I love to see in the Lord's people and what I saw in a great mentor of mine is that when he was walking through a time when he could not even see the purposes of the Lord in the midst of his circumstances, he rested in the faith that God was doing those things and reminded himself of God's purposes over and over and over again. And he had eyes to watch for them whenever they began to show up. See, that's the real exercise of faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. A lot of times we'll be saying, that I just want God to show me what it is that he's up to. Well, that's at, you're saying I don't want to exercise faith. This is why sometimes one of the dangerous prayers that we pray is for clarity. God doesn't promise clarity. He's given you clarity in his word. And then he calls you to trust him. He calls you to the kind of clarity that comes through faith. And all of a sudden you begin to see things in the circumstances that arise from the truth of God's word. And you don't have to know how it works itself out. You just know that it does. And you know that he will. And you can rest in his purposes in it. Are you catching the spirit of this? The spirit of the ceaseless praying, this rejoicing always, this giving thanks in all circumstances. This is the very spirit of God that we're asking for him to consume us and captivate us and be filled up with this fullness. Now for that to happen, I want to just charge you in a couple of ways as we close. I want you this, for this to happen, if we're going to build this good relationship with the Lord and we're going to seek this close relationship with the Lord as he pursues us, we're going to strive for it and trust him for the grace in it. It's going to start by listening to God. Okay? It's going to start by listening to God. Now that may seem like a very odd place to start in talking about prayer, but it's not. I want the default setting of your heart to assume that God's word to you is far more important than the words that you're going to say to him. Okay, I want the default setting of your heart to be there. That you're listening to him. Now, the way J.I. Packer puts this with regards to listening to the Lord is it's thinking and reflecting upon God in his word with God. Thinking on God with God. Meaning it's submitting ourselves to the Spirit of God in the reading of the Word of God to make plain to us what we need to know from it. That's listening. A lot of times we're reading the Word. The question is, are we listening to the Word? Are we allowing the Spirit 
And are we sitting still long enough in it so that the word becomes a dwelling place within us? That's where it starts, listening to God and his purposes. And then it moves, secondly, sharing with God. It starts listening to God, then it starts, moves to sharing with God. And really what we're talking about here is the practice of honesty with him. The practice of honesty with him. I want you to remember, as we said earlier, that prayer is an act of relationship. God is sharing himself with us. We are sharing himself, we are sharing ourselves with him. When we're talking about sharing, we're talking about the discipline of honesty. It is very difficult, I know this, it's hard for me. It is very difficult to say what is real about you to the Lord. It's a really difficult thing. It's a discipline in and of itself. Think of that grievous sin that you committed that you don't want to utter. And in the midst of praying to the Lord, you're kind of like, yeah, and you know that thing that's in my mind right now? Like, like I'm sorry about that, and, and you just don't want to say it. You want to share it. You're afraid oftentimes to live in the honesty of it. That's why we decide many times when we're distant from the Lord, we're just like, well, I'll clean up a little bit before I start praying. Oh, no, no, no. Go to him in the midst of your darkness because he'll do the cleaning up. He'll do the cleaning up. Your, your prayers are not the time to show God that you're spiritual. Your prayers are the time to reveal very clearly in your honesty that you are not who it is that you're supposed to be. And God rewards his presence with the truth of yourself. You listen to God, and then you share in honesty the truth of your heart with him. He loves you. You're a son or a daughter. He wants to hear from you. And then we move from listening to God to share with God and living for God. This is, this is having the attentiveness of the Lord. The intention and the attention of the Lord. Because a spiritual vision begins to take place when you have this kind of intimate listening and sharing going on. A spiritual vision where you begin to be in conversations with people and you begin to, to know wisely because the Lord is with you what needs to be said. You begin to appropriate responsibly how you're supposed to act in various circumstances. You begin to slow down rather than speed up. You begin to soak in rather than run by. There's a spiritual vision that begins to take up a living for God in intentionality with our hearts and by being attentive to what it is that he's doing. Rather than complaining in the moment that you normally complain when your kids spill the Cheerios, you laugh and you draw them in to help you clean it up. Rather than grumble about the neighbor who plays their music too loud. You begin to pray for them and you find a way to meet them at the mailbox to further that relationship. An intentionality and an attention to the Lord's work begins to happen in the pervasiveness of your life. That's how communion begins to happen. Then finally, we rest in God. We rest in God and this really is the experience of peace. You see, that's where Paul ends in Philippians chapter 4. He ends with... Make your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to hear what Paul is saying. He's saying, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God. So he doesn't say this. 
Let your request be made known to God, and God's going to do everything that you want Him to do, and then your peace will come. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, let your request be made known to God, and His peace will come. And you know when you know that His peace has come? Let me just give you a foolproof method for knowing that the peace of God is beginning to capture your heart. Whether your requests come true or not, you're at peace with Him. You've released it. It's now in the hands of the Lord. So whether the request comes true or not, you're at peace. That's what he means. Because you've now cast your burdens and cares upon him and you know that he cares for you. And you can entrust him for it. Now here's what's remarkable is as we think about taking these things, listening to God, meditating on his word, sharing with God honestly from our hearts, living with the intentionality and the attention of God in the world, mission for him, and we begin to rest in the peace of God. It's a beautiful picture of what the richness of sweet communion with the Lord continuously in prayer is to look like. And it won't always feel this way for you or for me. In fact, a lot of the time, you're going to stumble your way through this and make a total mess of it. Just like me. And when you do, the beautiful, overwhelming, transforming truth that gets you back on the saddle of prayer with the Lord is to know that in that moment, Christ is praying for you. He is praying for you. At the moment where you're not praying and you're not experiencing, any of the sweetness of the communion that we've just talked about that we long for and you're ready to abandon and give up prayer. Forget this ceaseless praying thing. I'm never going to get it. It's never going to work. When you're at that moment, Christ prays for you. He stands at the right hand of the Father and lives to make intercession for you. And He stands there. You know why? He stands there because His petition that he asked for in the Garden of Gethsemane was not granted. And he stands there because he experienced on the cross utter abandonment of the presence of God for you. And so you've never been to a place of such utter abandonment of the loss of the presence of God as Christ has himself. And he's who prays for you. He is who prays for you. When you go to him and you talk about darkness and you talk about loneliness and you talk about not feeling the presence of the Lord, he knows in a way that you and I never will know. Praise be to God, we'll never know it. And he prays for you. Meaning, he truly does sympathize with all of your weaknesses in every way. He is a good and high priest who can fully enter into the Holy of Holies with you, not imagining what you're going through, knowing it more than you would ever know it. And in that, that tells you the love of God. And it shows you that if that's the God who loves us, we should probably spend some time in prayer with Him. I would like to know Him much better than I do. Let's pray you'll do that. Father in heaven, please grant this. Please grant this spark of new life as we enter.
2016 on our knees. Let the glory of Christ shine upon us. And let us behold him by faith. Jesus, we are listening. And we hear, we know you're praying for us right now. And because you're praying for us, we have hope. Don't stop praying. I know you won't. As we walk into this year and into eternity with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.